You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. President Roger Madison was born in Boise, Idaho. He attended Meridian High School on a part-time basis and Centennial High just long enough to get a diploma. He attended Utah Valley University for a year where he met his wife, Elise. She was attending BYU. They both graduated from Boise State University and are big Bronco fans. Roger works as a financial advisor in Meridian and Elise as an incredible mother. They enjoy boating in the summer and snowboarding in the winter. They call Donnelly, Idaho, their second home. They have strong testimonies of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and enjoy their current assignments working with young single adults in the Boise, Idaho area. The Madisons have four children, including Zach, who passed away in 2015. They have three grandchildren. Roger Madison is currently serving in the Boise YSA Stake Presidency. It's great to be here. I uh, appreciate the the uh, opportunity. Uh, Brother Knight, uh, one of those guys that just along the way helped me make the right choices. And seminary was a huge, uh, huge uh, benefit uh, for me. And uh, uh, Brother Knight was one of those guys that knew how to wrangle in people that sometimes seemed like maybe they were not quite on the right path. Brother Knight got us on the right path. And uh, so I appreciate that and probably one of the reasons that I'm, I'm here tonight. So thank you. Uh, I want to start with just a quick shout out on our Book of Mormon invitation from the fireside the other night. Um, I, uh, I've already started, been doing my 15 minutes a day, and uh, it's been fun to, to uh, go back and look already and, and see my markings of every time the Lord is mentioned. And uh, it's to the point now where as I'm reading in my mind, I am counting how many verses until I, I see another mention of the Lord. It's, it's really pretty amazing. And uh, so hopefully you're all uh, taking advantage of that and, and are jumping in there. Uh, I just want to restate the promise from, from President Millington that, that uh, great things will happen in our lives as we make the Book of Mormon uh, an important part of what we do. And, and I'm convinced that 15 minutes a day will, will make a huge difference in our lives. Brother Taylor, come up front here. You don't have to sit in the back. I'm not going to bite you. Rachel, come on up here. Shivani. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just figure that I've you know, done something to you know, make you question what I'm saying. Is this close enough? That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm going to start off with just a couple of kind of basic ideas. Um, and, and, and I want to share with you one of my favorite scriptures. And, and you've, you've all read it tons of times because we all read First Nephi more than we read anything else in the Book of Mormon. And uh, I, I just really like what this scripture says, and it tells a little bit about me and my background. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. And so as I start tonight, I just want to share a couple uh, of ideas with you. Uh, about what I learned from my dad uh, and from my mom. 
My dad was a, a guy that was a work first guy. And, and when I was younger, um, I, I resented that a little bit because it was always it, get to work. He owned a furniture store. And when, when I was not off doing something less productive, he was always saying, get down here and go to work, get some work done. To the point where he was a little bit, um, probably a little over the top. But as I look back, I'm grateful that, that he taught me to work. And that, that, that teaching of hard work has, has really benefited, benefited me in, in my life. My mom is the one that really taught me the importance of testimony. My mom was five foot tall. Uh, she made me weigh 110 pounds. Um, but man, when it came to gospel topics, she was feisty. And, and she always held us at a high standard uh, and, and always made it clear that, that her testimony was, was the most important thing that, that she possessed or that she owned, if you want to put it that way. The other thing that I learned from both of my parents, uh, we can relate to Mosiah 2.17. When we are in the service of our fellow beings, we are only in the service of our God. And as long as I can remember... I can remember my parents serving and magnifying their church assignments. They were always very committed to what the Lord would have them do. My mom, oftentimes in quiet ways, oftentimes behind the scenes, my dad was usually the one that was a little bit more out in front. Um, you know, the, 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 the typical callings that you would see. And, and uh, as I look back, I'm very grateful for for that, uh, for their examples. Their examples really helped me to decide to go on a mission. And it was my mission that became a pretty formative uh, experience for me. And it was on my mission that I gained my, my testimony of, of the Book of Mormon. And I'll share with you that. I shared it at the fireside a little bit the other night. Those of you who weren't there, uh, you can hear it. Those of you who were, sorry, it's a little bit repetitive, but um, Cheyenne, Wyoming in the wintertime is cold. Uh, it snows at you not on you. Uh, and I can remember two blizzards that we were in. The first one was on Halloween in 1990. Uh, it was, with wind chill, it was about 30 below and it snowed 14 inches. And uh, I can remember thinking, wow, th there can't be a colder place on earth. Of course, I hadn't been to Rexburg yet. Um, but, but wow, I mean, it was cold. And, and we just had to stay in for a couple days. Um, but as Wyoming weather can do, anybody here from Wyoming? Anybody familiar with Wyoming? As Wyoming weather will do, within a couple days, it was back in the 50s, warm, snow all melted. Well, then another week passes and another blizzard comes through. And uh, this time it didn't snow as much, but it was even colder. The wind chills were about 40 below. Got a call, mission president had called out all the leadership and said, hey, tell everybody to just stay in. Well, I'd been on my mission for a few months and was at a point where I was just finishing the Book of Mormon. And, and, uh, Got to Moroni 10, and, and, and of course, you know, we know what that says, to, to you know, put it to the test and, and find out for ourselves if, if the Book of Mormon is true. And, and so I thought, you know what? I don't think I've ever done that in my life. And here I am, a missionary. I probably should take Moroni and take him at his word and find out. And so I still remember very well. Um, it, we, lived, we lived on Osage Drive in a... Three in a triple, uh, tri triple story apartment. Our apartment was on the 
uh, downstairs left, and we had a linoleum floor, and there was this old desk in there that probably, I mean, it came over from the Mayflower, and, uh, um, and, and, we had, and all we had was these old metal chairs, and it's cold, right? I mean, it just, it just felt cold, and I, I remember kneeling down on the floor and, and putting my elbows on the chair and was like, you know, just, just started to pray, you know, just that basic prayer of Heavenly Father, and I, I only got about that far. And just this amazing spirit came over me that said, you know this is true. You've felt the spirit before. Um, you're welcome to ask again, but I don't really think you need to. You, you know this is true, and, and, and uh, you just need to get busy and do the work. And I'll never forget that, that just that incredible confirmation that came as, as, uh, as I knelt down to, to pray. And, and, and I'll share with you here in a few minutes a couple of instances where I've been able to reflect on that, and that's, that's made a huge difference in my life. The second experience I want to share with you was, was in Boulder. And anybody ever been to Boulder? Boulder, Colorado? Beautiful place, right? Flat irons out there, just gorgeous. Um, and, and, but Boulder's an interesting place. Boulder, is, as beautiful as, as, as Boulder is, it's equally as evil. Uh, there's just a lot of, of, of just bad-intended people that live in Boulder, Colorado. I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, and uh, we, we, we were just right off campus uh, there. And, but there was an institute director there named Fred Woods. Have you come across Fred at all? Amazing guy. Uh, convert to the church. I love Brother Woods. Uh, I, I just have so much respect for him. And he was the institute director, and he really taught us the power of testimony and of bearing pure testimony at every chance we could as, as missionaries. We were teaching a young girl from Oklahoma named Inger West. And, and Inger was somebody that I knew had felt the Spirit several times. But she just couldn't put away some of those challenges of the world. And uh, one day, um, we decided to invite her to come to Institute during her lunch break, during classes, and just to have a study hour with us. And, and we sat there uh, in, in, the, uh, in the institute, and we just took turns reading scriptures. And as we sat there, the scripture came to mind, and, and uh, I just want to share um, the scripture with you, and then tell you about the experience that we had. Because I think it's a message that we all can, can relate to. Alma 34 Verse 33 or 32, for behold, this life is the time for men or women to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. And now, as I said unto you before, as ye have had so many witnesses, therefore I beseech of you that ye do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. We read this together. And, and I looked at Inger and I said, Inger, how do you feel about that scripture? She said, it definitely applies to me. I, it's probably time. She says, I just don't know if I'm ready to make the commitment. Well, this is a few days before she was heading off to Christmas uh, break. And she was dating a, a, uh, a young man in Oklahoma who happened to be a member of the church. And uh, we just thought, you know, maybe someday Inger will come around. Well, Christmas Eve night, our phone rings, and it's Inger. And she says, hey, 
guess what? I just wanted you to know that I've decided to no longer procrastinate the day of my repentance. I'm going to be baptized. And I just want to let you guys know that, that that's happening. And I'm so excited and thank you. And, and that was one of the first times in my life where I had felt the Spirit very directly prompt me to do something and then saw the fruits of following that prompt. And it, and it was so powerful to me because it made an immediate impact in her life. Now, she's married in the temple. She served a mission, by the way, um, and got back, married in the temple, got some great kids. She's doing well in Salt Lake. Just an awesome experience for, for me. And to see that continue to carry on, I, I, I love that I had that opportunity. Now, throughout my life, I've had other opportunities to feel the Spirit um, in, in different church callings. Uh, we had a young, a, a young girl that was in our ward when we were in the Centennial Ward out in the, out in the Meridian North Stake that uh, was kind of a similar situation. Uh, she, had, she had been taking the missionary lessons for a long time. I'd coached her in softball. Uh, really, really good kid. Um, her grandparents are members. Her mom at one point uh, was, was, was involved in the church as well. And, and uh, she was kind of going through the same problem. And so sat down with her. Actually, it was in a young women's class. I was asked to teach a young women's class. And, and uh, it was one of those moments where the Spirit said, bear testimony and invite. And so right there in this young women's class, I said, we read the scripture. I had Maddie read it, actually. And I said, Maddie, is it time? And tears rolling down her face. She said, yeah, it's time. And uh, she ended up serving a mission as well. And now she's married in the temple. And, and so just a great experience there to see that. And, and so my message as I share those two examples is in our lives, one of the, one of the things that, that, that we need to learn to do is to follow the Spirit. And to follow the Spirit, we have to put ourselves in position to feel the Spirit and, and, and to recognize what that looks like. So how do we do that? Well, one of the things that my parents taught me, one of my favorite scriptures, um, in fact, probably like one of my top three or four, um, is in uh, 1 Nephi 3.7. And, of course, we've all heard this many times came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commandeth me. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandment, save he prepareth the way for the children of men to accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. I love that scripture. And if we study Lehi, what we learn about Lehi is that Lehi did the things he was asked to do because at some point in his life, he had just simply chosen to be obedient. And so my message that I want to share with you right now. And, and, and if, when you leave tonight, you're going to, hopefully you've taken a couple of notes. But I, I, I get it. You walk out and you go, what did he talk about? Right? We've all been in those situations. But a major point that I want you to take away is the important choice that we all have to make. At some point, we have to choose to obey. Now, we have to make that choice before we're in the moment where it's hard to make that choice. And sometimes that's a challenge. Throughout my life, I've been blessed with good friends. And, and I, I joke a little bit because I, I would call myself a rambunctious teenager. Brother Edwards can attest. Um, may have thrown a few water balloons around town a couple of times, maybe. Maybe. Um, 
probably shouldn't have thrown quite as few, <laughs> quite as many as I did. Um, and maybe shouldn't have thrown them where I threw them. Um, but I generally was a pretty good kid. But, but I learned early on that the easiest way to live life is to simply have an attitude of obedience. I call it today a propensity to obey. Because I think in our lives, if we do that, as we come along and we face challenges, as we face choices that could potentially be detours in our lives, if we can go back and say, you know what? I'm not going there. I've already made the decision to obey. Now, what am I talking about when I say obey? Well, you can obey your parents. I can obey my wife. I can obey the Lord by keeping His commandments, right? Whatever that is. Generally speaking, think about that for just a minute. Do you generally have a propensity to obey? Or are you a little bit like Laman and Lemuel, who I refer to as lemon and lime? Because they're sour about everything, right? I mean, seriously, you go, everything that talks about Laman and Lemuel, murmuring, questioning, you know, why are we doing this? Complaining, right? It's like your little brother or sister that you got, used to get annoyed with all the time, right? Their general feeling about life was not to obey. Instead, it was to question and to wonder and to push back. Well, guess what? It didn't work out very well for them. And I think for most of us in our lives, if we'll just simply adopt an attitude of obedience... It becomes simpler to live. Now, are there things that I sometimes say, gosh, it might be fun to do that. Yeah, there are. But then I go back to, but I've already made a decision. I'm going to do my best to obey. And so it just becomes easier to go day by day, sometimes hour by hour. So if you'll think about that, and as you go home tonight, maybe that's a place where you write a note down and ask yourself the question. Do I have a propensity to obey? Are there certain things that kind of stick me a little bit that I need to change? Do I need to, do I, do I need to get lined up on? Something, to, something for you to consider. Okay, so I got to tell you, my wife and I, we've been really, really blessed. We, we, we are, it's crazy. I've been super blessed. My wife, not so much. She's stuck with me. But, <laughs> but... I married well above myself, um, cute wife, strong testimony, everything about my wife's fantastic. She's a great mom, awesome grandmother, uh, just everything's great, other than she stuck with me. So we're going along through life, and things are really, really good, and, and I'm thinking, you know what, to the point where on June 4th, 2015, to Thursday, we got up early to go to the temple in Boise. And, and this is no kidding. We go to the temple. Night before, our, our, our son, Zach, on the couch. He graduated from, from middle school that day, or, or from elementary school. was going to middle school. Super excited. Um, came home. Looked super tired. In fact, I've never seen him look that way. And we're going up to bed, and I said, hey, um, here's the deal. We have a softball tournament this weekend. So I need you tomorrow to get the truck loaded, get all the gear, get the truck loaded. Um, we'll leave. I'll come pick you up at 4. Uh, we'll get to Twin Falls by 6. And when we get to Twin Falls, we'll go grab some food. 
so you can watch the game. Because he wanted to watch the, it was the NBA Finals. And I think the Heat were playing, and he liked the Heat. He liked Wayne Wade. So he said, great, no problem. I said, okay, uh, love you, pounded him, uh, see you in the morning. I said, by the way, your sisters, your sister and your brother and, and, and your brother are out. They'll be back later. So we're going to bed because we're getting up early. I need you in the morning to get them on their chores. The chores are on the counter. So make sure when they, when they get up in the morning that they get going on their chores. Yep, no problem. Got it, Dad. Love you. See you in the morning. That's the last time I spoke to that kid. We woke up, went to the temple. This is literally what happened in the temple. Unbelievable. A good friend of ours works in the Boise Temple. We get done with the session. Have no idea what's going on at home. By now, it's about 8.40. And uh, he sees me and he walks over to me in the dressing room. And he says, hey, Raj, how are you? I said, you know what? I'm so good. If I was any better, I would be twins. That's exactly what I said. We leave the temple, excited. Going to go home, drop off my wife, run to the office, work, and then head to Twin Falls. We get out of the temple, get to the car, grab my phone. Miss 39 phone calls. That's weird. Next call, Boise City Police Officer named Officer Jones. He says, is this Roger Madison? I said, it is. And he goes, he goes um, this is Officer Jones. And I said, hey, how are you doing this morning? I said, let me guess. This is one of those arrest you for charity things. He goes, no, got a little problem at home. I said, really? He says, yeah. He said, do you have a son named Zach? I said, I do. He said, well, he's not breathing very well right now. Where are you? And I said, I just got out of the, out of the LDS temple uh, uh, on, on Cole Road. He said, oh, you're that Madison. And I said, yeah. He says, I'm Officer Jones, and I'm in your stake. I'm in your old stake. And I go, oh, I know you. He says, look. He said, I need you to get home as soon as you can. I said, okay, great. I'm on the freeway. He says, I'm going to meet you at the off-ramp on Eagle Road, and I'm going to escort you home. Well, that struck me as a problem. Obviously, something's going on pretty serious. So we go flying home. Um, we're, we're, we're running all the red lights, and he's escorting us. We're probably doing 80 miles an hour down Eagle. And um, pull around the corner into our, into our subdivision, and, and there is four or five police cars. There's a fire truck. There's an ambulance. And our bishop, Bishop Ingersoll, and standing at the door. And I run over there, and he says, he didn't make it. What are you talking about? What do you mean he didn't make it? What? What What are you talking about? He didn't make it. Well, I run through to try to get inside, and two police officers grab me. One of them was Brother Bish, and says, I can't let you go upstairs. You got what's happening? I, I have no idea what's happening. What is happening here? Total panic mode. And our son just didn't wake up. And our other son, Royal, found him about an hour after they think he died and 
did his best, got him on the floor, started compressions, called 911. They came and worked on him for another hour, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't revive him. And, and so we literally went from that comment to Brother McMullen an hour before of, if I was any better, I'd be twins, to, I want to die. I, I just can't understand why I'm still here. And what happened to my son? Healthy, active, great kid, mind blown. Crazy. So as you can imagine, the next couple of days were tough, like, like tough. Couldn't sleep, uh, didn't want to eat anything, um, wondered, is everything I've ever thought about real? All these experiences, all the times I've gone out and taught and testified and all the times I've served, do I still believe that? Is that all, did that, did that all Wow. Let me share with you a quote that really sums up how I felt. This is from Orson F. Whitney. Oh, no, sorry. This is from Henry Fielding. Adversity is the trial of principle. Without a man, without it, a man hardly knows whether he is honest or not. And boy, did I think about that. Was I honest with myself? Did I really know what I thought I knew? Did I, did I still have a testimony of the power of the priesthood? Of life after this one? Did I really believe in eternal families? Was I going to see my son again? It was a hard time. To the point where I, uh, I visualized some really evil things. And by Saturday morning, I was, I was distraught. I, I just felt like, Wow. And so I think I was at that moment, you know where the prophet Joseph talks about thick darkness gathered around me and for a moment I felt I was doomed? For the first time in my life, I understood how the prophet Joseph felt. Because what was happening to me was the adversary was taking advantage of my weakness. He was taking advantage of my doubts. He was magnifying all those feelings that I was having. Boy, he was driving those home. He knows how to do that. To the point where, literally, all I could see around me was thick darkness. There was no light. There was no spirit. The, uh, hope was gone. And, and it, it got so bad that I called my bishop, Bishop Ingersoll, and I said, you got to help me. I, I don't, I'm in a really, really bad place. And so him and our stake president, President Alquist, invited Elise and I to go over and visit with them at President Alquist's home. And they did a great job. And by the way, when, when the paramedics and the police and the coroner left, there was probably 200 people outside our house that just rushed in to minister to us and to love us. Everybody was great. But ultimately, we were left in a spot of, is there any hope left? It's pretty amazing. We were counseled very well and uh, given some things to read. But I want to share with you what made the most difference. Alma 7, 11 and 12. 
And I had read this many times in my life. And I had shared this thought with many people. But until it was us, it wasn't really that impactful. And he, meaning the Savior, shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. He will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death, which bind his people. And he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy. According to the flesh, that he may know, according to the flesh, how to succor his people, according to their infirmities. That scripture probably saved my life spiritually and physically. Because in that terrible moment of darkness and despair, thinking that nobody else understood how we felt, the Spirit bore witness to me that the Savior knew how we felt. And so over the next few days, we were able to kind of lay that out to the Savior and say, man, we are, we are clay and you're the potter. And boy, we sure need help because we just didn't know how to respond. But almost instantly, as, as, I, as I read through that scripture again, I felt that spirit come back. And then, I was, and then I was able to recall all the times in my life that I had felt the spirit confirm to me truth. And the spirit once again confirmed and said, you know this is true. And yes, I sacrificed my son so that you can be healed, that you can be made well, that you can be made whole. And the Spirit came in and confirmed to us that that was true. Orson F. Whitney said, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable more worthy to be called the children of God. Then it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we come here to acquire and which will make us more like our father and mother in heaven. Thought a lot about that. And so my message to you all tonight, as you think about where you are, is to think about how we face our trials. It's a strange world, isn't it? We're in this microwave popcorn, own it for $100 a month, instant Netflix in my room, pull it up on my phone, right? It's pretty amazing how all of those things are so available to us. But yet, I would argue that more people struggle with happiness and joy than ever have before. And I think part of the challenge that we have is we don't understand that those trials that we go through, big or small, are really there to help us grow and develop and become better and to understand what true happiness really is. Now, I don't think any of you other than us have probably lost a child. I hope not. I don't think you have. I don't think so. And the rest of you probably haven't even been there yet. Maybe you've lost a brother or a sister or or, or maybe you've lost a job. Or maybe you didn't do well on a test. Maybe the worst thing that's happened to you so far is the car battery was dead. 
Whatever it is in your life, you're going to have trials and, and, and challenges. Sometimes those challenges are going to, become, are going to come, and, and this is where I'm going to get really honest with you. Sometimes we're stupid. We just do dumb things. And it causes pain and suffering, and it causes anguish, and it causes us to be frustrated. But we did it. Other times, other people are dumb, and they do bad things to us. And we feel bad, and we feel frustrated. But guess what? Sometimes, really bad things happen to good people. We're not great people. We're just average. But what happened to us was terrible. No, no, no clue that was coming. We were ready to go to Twin Falls and coach softball and win a tournament. And my son was excited. He loved it. We were going to have a little, you know, a little, little night at, at, at Buffalo Wild Wings. And we were going to pound wings till we couldn't stand it anymore. And then, boom, he's gone. Guess what? The atonement cures all three of those scenarios. If you're dumb and you do something stupid... Guess what? The atonement counts. You can be forgiven. The Lord's there for you. And he's ready to help. If somebody else is dumb and you get your feelings hurt, guess what? That person may never apologize to you. But the Lord understands how you feel and he'll make it better. And sometimes bad things happen. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, back to Moroni's challenge. Not only can we understand the truthfulness of all the doctrine. But in our lives, when we're really struggling and we need help in a way that probably nobody else can help us, the Lord can send the Holy Ghost to be that comforting witness, to be that cleansing power that we really need. I know that that principle is true. I have felt it. And, and I'm so grateful that at key times in my life, we have felt it together. We've been strengthened and lifted at a time when there was, no other, there was no other answer for us for those few days after our son died. There, 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 was no, there was no way out of that save the Holy Ghost coming to us, good people coming to us, and the Holy Ghost coming to us saying, we're going to be okay here. I testify that that's true. I testify that each one of us can gain that same witness. As you study the Book of Mormon 15 minutes every day, you will feel the Spirit in a way that maybe you have never felt before. As you feel that Spirit, you'll be directed and you'll be guided in your life to make good choices. President Nelson said, read the Book of Mormon every day, you'll make better choices every day. I testify that that's true. You will put yourself in a position that when you have those trials, the Holy Ghost will be able to communicate with you more readily. I used to joke that, what we all need is a, is a 1-800 number, a direct call to heaven, right? And I used to say, well, you know, some people have to use landlines. Well, nobody uses landlines now, right? We all got these. But the closer we get to the Spirit, the closer we are to 5G, right? The closer we are to that instant access that we look for when we have questions or trials or concerns. I testify that that's true. I do that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, seven minutes for questions <laughs> for the night. So as I recall, you sort of took over the family business. Yes. But then had to make a transition. What, what was that transition like from what you had planned to now 
here's the, the new reality that you're facing? You know what? That's a great question. Um, so the question was that at one point in my life, I was kind of heading on one career path, and then that changed to a different one. My family grew up in the furniture business. My, my grandpa started it. My dad ran it. Um, I was kind of getting groomed to do that, but I didn't really want to. Um, there's just a lot of things about retail that I didn't like. Um, but I felt an obligation as part of the family, oldest son, to, to kind of help. Uh, my dad's health wasn't great, and so I was even more worried and felt like I should probably help. But ultimately, my dad had two heart attacks, and it was the second heart attack that I said, I'm not going to end up like you when I'm 50. I, I, I'm just not going this way. And so he and I had a good conversation, and we decided to, to, to close the business down. And uh, I had always wanted to get into financial advising and, and, and investments. And, and so when, when that happened, um, a, a couple of good friends of mine reached out and said, hey, we should talk, and, and uh, kind of went in another direction. And it's been, it's been great. Um, I'm very happy that I made that choice. And, and, and uh, I, I, that was one of those times I think the Lord was really looking out for us, um, really helped make that a pretty easy path to go down, honestly. Kind of scary, though. Yeah, I was 28, 29, we made the change, and, you know, for a long time, it sort of kind of thought I'd be on one particular path. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't know if this is, like, too deep, so tell me if it is or not. No problem. But um, after you lost your son, um, even if it's, like, a couple years after, do you still find yourself, like, feeling in times of just, like, super emotional states? Oh, yeah. Dealing with your faith? Um. Not struggling with my faith um, at all. Um, that experience, those few days after being in the lows of the lows, and then just really feeling that confirmation of the Spirit that just said, hey, I got you. I, I can't deny that. It was like that experience in Wyoming, right? Uh, man, I knew it. There was, I, I just couldn't deny it. But, man, boy. Man, we missed that kid. That's, that's tough. And he's in a better place, we know that. But boy, you know, you just think about, you know, just, that's hard. Um, but we know where he's at. We know where we are. We know there's a plan. Um, so we're, we're okay. Um, and we've, we've received witnesses several times that it's, it's, it's all going to be good. So, yeah, yeah, we're okay. It's a great question. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then. Do you feel closer to Zach when you are in the celestial room? You know, um, not not so much. There's been a couple of things that have happened where we have felt pretty close with him, but but no, no. I mean, I don't. Um, there's a there's a quote from uh, Elder Maxwell about that, and he said, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he basically said, look. He said, if every time we lost a loved one, if it was as easy to just step into another room and pull up the curtain and see them and what they're doing, it would remove all ability to have faith in this experience. I'm paraphrasing, but, but that's basically his message. And we've talked a lot about that. Um, we would love it. I mean, holy cow. And, I, and I've had a couple experiences where I felt them pretty close. Our kids did in the mission field. Uh, we've had a couple of friends that have had some interesting experiences where Zach has, has, has been close to them. Just enough to let us know we're okay, but not enough where we had to, where, where, where we still have to keep our faith. 
So how do you comfort or what do you say to someone who's going through a trial like maybe like you have where you know you have like, you know, you can't really express empathy. You've never experienced anything like that. And I don't know if they would want you to to be hypocritical. Like what do you say to comfort someone? I think that's the beauty of Alma 7, right? Most of us, I'll be super honest with you. Before that, I was a scoffer. I was not very empathetic. I was not terribly kind. Because I just, just get over it, right? It was kind of my attitude, right? It was terrible. Now I look differently. And what I realize is that, that, that for me, that, right, that's, that's so traumatic, right? But maybe for Rachel, maybe the worst thing that ever happened to her is the car wouldn't start on a cold morning, right? But yet that's traumatic because that's the worst thing she's ever experienced, right? So it's a hard thing. Is it okay if I pick on you? So, so I think what we have to recognize is that none of us have ever, I've never walked in your shoes, right? And you haven't walked in mine, but the Lord has. Figuratively, the Lord has taken all of that on. He's experienced it all. He's felt it. He's felt the weight. He's felt the frustration. He's felt the concern, the anger, any of those emotions, any of those things. He's felt it. So the best thing we can do in that scenario is get your arm around that person and say, I love you. I don't totally understand how you're feeling. I wish I did. But I know that the Lord understands. And if you'll take this to the Lord and you'll work with him, communicate with him, share your feelings, and then get in the scriptures, the answers will come as you study in the scriptures. The Lord's not going to speak to you. He doesn't have a cell phone, right? We can communicate with the Lord. We can talk to the Lord. The answers are going to come as we study. You can do that. You don't have to have walked in their shoes to do that. You just have to let them know that the Lord has. You love them. You're happy to chat. You're happy to listen. You're happy to buy them a hamburger, whatever. The Lord will take care of the rest. And that's the great thing about Alma 7. Any, any of us can experience that. What moment did you um, realize that like, <clears throat> it was time to get married? Like from dating and then you were like, now it's time. Have you seen my wife? Oh man, let's go. Let's go, honey. Let's go. It was not that easy of a story that he makes it sound to be. <laughs> no, you know, it, it's a great question. So my mission president sent me home and he said, look, he said, your priority should be to get married. There's no timetable, uh, but you need to get married. And so be looking. And he said, when the opportunity presents itself, don't pass it up. And, and he also told us, he said, don't feel like, he, he, he said, you're not going to find perfect. He said, so it's about a commitment. And I'm so grateful for that teaching because, and my dad was kind of the same way. In fact, my dad really talked about this a lot. He said, my, your mom and I have had to work through so many things, but we made a commitment in the temple that we were going to do that. And so we just have never looked back. And so I think as you, as you think about that question, as, as you're dating, as you're out, when the opportunity presents, don't look for perfect because you're not going to find it. But look for an equal commitment between two people that says, hey, I'm committed to this and you're committed to this and you're going to realize in about two weeks that I'm worthless. And I'll be riding your coattails the rest of my life. But if we can just stay together, we can make something pretty special. I think that's how you have to look at it.
I did kneel down and pray. And the Lord said, yep. Yeah, go for it. And, oh, boy, good thing, good, good thing. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Okay, I think we're out of time. Any other quick questions? I'll hang around for a minute. But, okay, thank you. Yeah. When and how do you make time to read for 15 minutes a day? Um, I try to do it in the mornings. Um, that's a great question because I know people are busy. Um, but I think what it comes down to is, the, is just the prioritizing. Um, if we're all honest with ourselves, again, here's this is just me being pretty straight with you. We all have 24 hours in the day, right? Let's say that you sleep seven. Okay, so now you're down to 17. 17 times seven. Anybody know the math on that? 119. Okay, so there's 119 hours that are left. Okay, let's say that you work eight hours a day, five days a week. That's 40. Okay, now you're down to 79 hours. Okay, three hours in church, 76. Okay, you got 76 hours left in the week. You've already slept. You've already been to church. You've already worked. 15 times seven is not even two hours. It's an hour and 45 minutes. So really what it comes down to is, can you find an hour and 45 minutes out of 76 other hours? I'm pretty sure we can. It's just a matter of priority. Don't be offended, but... Because I'm not... I'm just saying, I think we have to be practical about it, right? To say, I think I can do this, right? And, and raise your hand if you served a mission. Here's my thing about this, okay? And you're on a mission right now, so you can raise your hand. So here's the deal. In the mission, it's easy, right? Because you have built-in schedule, right? And you have nothing better to do, right? I mean, I'm, I, I just got to study. And you study, hopefully, two hours a day, right? Is that right? Personal, companion, right? Okay. Here's my testimony about 15 minutes. I will tell you this, and I believe this to my core. If you will spend 15 minutes a day in the scriptures, it will feel like your hour of personal study in the mission field. The Lord knows we're busy. The Lord knows that when you were a missionary, that's all you had to do. But now, you're a civilian, right? You're going to school. You're working. You have a church calling. You got family responsibilities. You're trying to date, right? All this stuff, right? The Lord knows we're busy. So I think He'll send the Holy Ghost in extra measure. If we'll give 15 minutes, the Lord will be like, you know what, I'm going to treat that like an hour. And we'll feel the Spirit almost as much as you did in the mission field. I'm convinced of that. <laughs>